Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. I'm Pat Country. Ian, unfortunately, is in a lot of pain. He can't make it this week, so I'll be flying solo. But fear not, Ian will probably be back for the next podcast, so you'll have to endure this one. Don't click off yet, because there is positive news for Ian's condition. He has gone to, I guess, not even a third specialist, a third doctor. This saga began in the uh, in the fall for Ian. He started having symptoms in October, uh, and they got they got really bad during the filming of our uh, second set of Let's Plays, the completely unnecessary Let's Plays before that series got derailed. Uh, you know, the last one that just came out was Ninja Gaiden. So he had extreme pain in his abdomen area, and he went to a specialist, two emergency room visits, a second specialist who basically did, basically said, go see Dr. House, I have no idea what's wrong. So Ian's giving me permission to talk about all this, what's been going on with him, because he wanted to help relate to you guys on YouTube, since a lot of you guys don't realize he's had a Patreon. Excuse me, he's had a GoFundMe. I have the Patreon, we have a Patreon for the podcast. He's had a GoFundMe, uh, and it's at thepunkeffect.com slash Ian, which redirects to it. And uh, he's going to give a full update there. But basically, Ian went to a third doctor. Uh, now he has his insurance all squared away, so that's good. And he was diagnosed with, you can't make this up, A-C-N-E-S. N-E-S. Nerve Entrapment Syndrome. So, specifically though, anterior cutaneous nerve entrapment syndrome is a condition that causes chronic pain of the abdominal wall. It occurs when terminal branches of the lower thoracic intercostal nerves are entrapped in abdominal muscles, causing a severe localized neuropathic pain that is usually experienced at ventral portions of the abdomen. It is frequently overlooked and unrecognized, although the incidence is estimated to be 1 in 2,000 patients. So, we're not talking extremely, extremely rare, like when you grow an extra finger, but you know it's you know it's uncommon, uncommon syndrome. But um, this is exactly what happened to Ian. Reading off Wikipedia, the the relative unfamiliarity with this condition often leads to significant diagnosis delays, misdiagnosis, which which Ian has been experiencing for the past four and a half months, often resulting in unnecessary diagnostic interventions and futile procedures. Ian's had his blood taken multiple times. He's had, uh, I think, an endoscopy. He's had st- things stuck in both ends, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with them. So, yeah, that's uh, futile and, you know, you know, uncomfortable. Uh, and then, yeah, there's more information. Uh, what's funny, though, not that you should give him shit for this, but uh, it predominantly found in young women, but also occurs in children, teenagers, and octogenarians. So that's Ian for you. But uh, but seriously, though, there's not really a known cause for this. Like, there's a correlation of, of things that could happen in terms of you getting uh, nerve entrapment syndrome in your ab region or NES. 
Um, but Ian, Ian thinks what happened with him was that one of the things that the doctor uh, told him, and the doctor, this doctor was great because he he was annoyed that the other doctors missed this because, like I said, this isn't something that's extremely rare. And this isn't like one in, you know, 100 million people get this. It's one in 2,000. So it's not like, you're going to see that if you're a doctor. You're going to see that at least, you know, a handful of times in, in, your, in your during your practice, if not more than that. Uh, but one of the things that could, I guess, trigger it is rapid weight loss, which Ian did have uh, late last summer. Uh, he lost a, a decent amount of weight within about a month, month and a half, which I didn't realize how quickly he lost that weight at the time. But that might have done something with his ab muscles and you got nerves somehow ended up in there. So the good news is that he's been diagnosed. The bad news is that there's no like quick cure to this. It has to has to basically work itself out of your system. The nerves have to basically, I guess, get un unentwined, unintertwined with with your abdominal uh, muscles from the ab wall. The nerves have to come basically, I guess, recede back. This just sounds fucking awful. And, and Ian explained to me on the phone that the way that the doctor figured out what it was was simply got like a business card and ran it over like the part of Ian's, like, I guess, abdomen where he thought it hurt just lightly. And he got to the point where it hurt like hell, just with like, just using a, like a, like a, a card on the skin and touching the muscle, which, which is like, wow, that's like, that is house like shit. But if you knew what it was, you know what to look for. And then, so that, so he ran a couple more tests to the doctor and that sort of, um, that sort of confirmed the diagnosis there. So, you know, there's not a huge, huge amount you can do. There, there's, like, you can, there's, like, potentially getting corticosteroid shots to help ease the pain. But uh, one of the best things you can do, it looks like, is, like, stretch your ab muscles uh, out. Um, and then hopefully that, that if the, the nerves sort of get get away from the ab muscles and then go back to the abdominal wall. Like, this, it, it's, it's unfortunately not something where you can be like, oh, you can take this pill and you'll be fine. So the good news is that there's a plan of attack. Uh... Recent Windows Defender summary. Shut up. There's the good news is that there's a plan of attack. The bad news is that it there's no like time frame for when he'll be better. Like he, it's not like magically a month from now he'll be 100. percent This could take months. Could take many months, and, and it'll probably be a gradual process where he'll gradually feel better and better. But at least now he knows that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, so Ian will be updating his uh, GoFundMe and then closing it down since now he knows what's going on. And uh, so I appreciate everyone who sent in their uh, advice uh, about what Ian, um, what you thought it could be with Ian, whether there was, there was some theories about, well, if you smoke weed a lot, sometimes you can create air pain. Uh, there, there was other things that were looked into, uh, but it, w- it was actually a simpler sort of solution right in front of everyone's eyes that was missed even by the quote-unquote specialist, which annoys me. And that makes it not a, whoa, U.S. healthcare sucks. You know, there's nothing to do with that. It's just the doctors, the doctors didn't know what they were doing. That could have been missed by doctors anywhere. Ian was getting care. Just the doctors that he went to, uh, luck in the draw, just were a little sloppy. And that's that's not to say most doctors are pretty good. It's just that this is something that's, like I said, on Wikipedia, it's it's often overlooked because it's not something that uh, you'd expect to happen. Oh, nerve endings get trapped in your fucking ab muscles somehow. Like, that's just, that's just a weird sort of freak thing to happen that, you know, you can say, oh, irritable bowel syndrome, that, that's a, uh, something that's more common sense to diagnose or, you know, or maybe an organ or even, hell, we thought it was gallbladder at first. That, that seemed like a natural sort of fit, but it wasn't. So, 
so thanks everyone who who stuck on board and uh you know i know the podcast sucks without ian well it sucks for me because i have to do it without ian and it's honestly not fun to do it without ian uh i i can do it somewhat competently i i should probably admit i mean i can do it doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's enjoyable for me to do some topics are fun some aren't but i'm, I'm talking here you know i uh, but that's fine. That's fine. You guys got along with, without me for the most part. I uh, haven't lost too many too many podcast listeners uh, in the, in the four and a half months I've been doing this by myself uh, for the most part. But um, so that's great. But I want to just say something else uh, to those that thought that Ian was either faking it or uh, or that it was due to him. I don't know. Whatever you want to say, because he was drinking or whatever. Uh, you're not fucking doctors to diagnose it. And and you might have thought your heart was in the right place, but it's really insulting to a way. And, and for for those and for those handful of people that spread infor- misinformation that you know Ian wasn't isn't using his GoFundMe fees to help pay for uh, what's been going on. I saw one uh, piece of trash post that oh he's just bought weed with with the money. Uh, first of all, you're outright fucking lying, outright f- lying because Ian on his GoFundMe page. Uh, tells us what's been going on, the specialist he's has seen, and where uh, the money has been going towards. And he still has bills to pay. We're talking multiple specialists, uh, two, two emergency room visits. Those are not cheap. Besides other tests and everything, and some tests are two thousand dollars, you know, just for a fucking you know cat scan or whatever. Uh, so it's not like he's he's enjoyed the past five months. He hasn't. He's been in pain every day. And he was reluctant, reluctant to do the GoFundMe in the first place. He, if he, he really should have done, you know, he should have done it back in like November, but he was obstinate. <laughs> he was reluctant. He didn't want to seem like he was begging. And people had to talk him into it. People around him that loved him said, "Hey, listen, it's not bad to ask people for help, especially if this is a lot of money uh, for all these tests." So, for those people that. We're saying that he he wasn't using the money for anything or, or or not. I'll I'll remember I'll remember that. Um, who you are, I will, uh, absolutely. And uh, you know, I I went through th- just to this isn't like I went through what he went through, but I had I had extreme uh, uh, abdominal pain from something I ate uh, last week. I tried to make pancakes uh, for National Pancake Day. It went horribly wrong. I put too much protein powder. Uh, in in the pancakes, ate the pancakes. Within a half hour or an hour, my stomach was like, "Uh oh, what's going on here?" Couldn't throw up the pancakes. My body just had to process it. I was in extreme pain for probably a day and a half while my body tried to digest that awful pancake. It was delicious, by the way. It was like peanut butter and chocolate uh, protein powder pancakes, but too much protein powder. Didn't dilute it enough, so that was dangerous, I guess. But I was in ext- such extreme pain; it was hard to hard to lay down on my side. It was um, I, I couldn't eat anything, uh, you know, really, and it was hell. I I I couldn't stay like focused, and um, I couldn't I, I didn't feel rested. I was totally drained. And what I thought was like if Ian was even experienced experiencing a third of my pain or even a half of my pain. Uh, and he and doing that for the last four and a half five months that's an awful way to live so good on Ian for for powering through the best he could with, with everything else going on um, 
enduring all the tests and enduring uh, asshole doctors who didn't know what the hell was going on with them. So, again, uh, Ian's going to try to get back on the podcast uh, for the next week, which will be, we record every two weeks, if you don't know, on YouTube. Uh, I, I still point out to people on YouTube that this is an audio podcast, first and foremost, with clips uploaded from the podcast. So we'll be recording end of March and following from there. Ian should be back on the podcast. So that's what's going on with Ian. Uh, he had his mini return last time. You saw how painful it was for him there. But, um, yeah, so I'm just happy. We're both happy that he is in a much better spot now because he he can, you know, it's not something awful. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been, we had to, you know, suck out your gallbladder with a vacuum or, God forbid, you have some, some sort of weird cancer or something like that. It's, this is one of the more mild things it could have been. And it's not even something like IBS, where then it's not something you have to live with for a long time, and that will just seem awful. You feel like you got to crap your pants every day that you live. That just seems terrible. So give Ian the support uh, on Twitter, and um, we'll see him soon, because then uh, we'll have our nice little banter that you guys enjoy listening to. But coming up on this podcast, this completely unnecessary one, we'll be talking about Colin Moriarty leaving the kind of funny YouTube channel and podcast. Switch, Nintendo Switch and Zelda, breaking records for Nintendo. We'll be talking about the road to WrestleMania. <laughs> Do I have to really talk about that? We'll also be discussing um, a few other things going on. One q and I'll review Logan. What's been going on in my life besides uh, my phone call? I just got my taxes done. Um... I won't, spoke, I won't speak about it too much. I will speak about it, though, more uh, on the Not So Common podcast. That's my solo podcast. I know this one right now is solo, but in theory, it should be with Ian Ferguson, who will be back soon. Uh, but the Not So not so Common podcast is that more general podcast where I speak about political issues, social issues. Um, I have had guests on. I've recorded three. Check them out. The first podcast... Was, was more like just getting some random thoughts out there about why Costco's the reason why the U.S. can't have universal health care and lots of other shenanigans. It was funny. Someone on Twitter rated, he rated me in terms of uh, liberalism versus conservatism uh, based upon shit I said, most of which was a joke. I just thought that was funny. He like, did like a, a report card on Twitter, some, uh, some minister down south. Uh, second podcast was talking politics and social matters with a little bit of NFL with Frank. Lovable Frank, and the third podcast, not so common with Pat, with Pat Contry, was talking with Mark Bussler from Classic Game Room. So subscribe to that on iTunes, uh, Switcher, 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 not Nintendo Switcher, Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. And then um, also I have a Flea Market Madness coming out, hopefully later this week. It would have been out by now, but I was like I said, I was out of commission for like two days, if not three, last week because I was actually ill. Good thing I, I didn't have to record the podcast, or else would, there wouldn't have been a podcast. I was in no condition to do it uh, last week. Other than that, um, let's see. Uh, the Ultimate NES Guide app is out on version 1.2 on iOS. Android should be 1.2 any day now. I don't know when, though. I don't know when. when they, the, the Google Play Store has to approve that. Let's start with a somewhat silly topic uh, about... Bolivia filing a formal complaint with France over Ghost Recon Wildlands. All right, so Ghost Recon Wildlands was a game that I was uh, pretty excited about. So what it is is a up to four-player co-op game. 
third-person open-world shooter that takes place in Bolivia. Uh, and what it, what you have to do is basically take down a Bolivian drug cartel. All right? It was released, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands. You know, I'm not sure how many other descriptors you need for that game. It's come out, it's got pretty good reviews. It's from uh, Ubisoft Paris, developer and published by Ubisoft. And, and we spoke about it from the E3 uh, previews last year. I thought it was pretty cool. Open-world tactical shooter utilizing a third-person perspective with optional first-person view for gun aiming, which is what I was always do because I cannot aim in third-person. Just can't do it. Um, so you can, you're, you're a four-person squad, when, and other human players can drop in and help you out. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you, there's off-road terrain. There's missions where you have to assassinate people, protect people. You know, uh, it's 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 gotten pretty good reviews in terms of, you know, there is non-playable, a lot of non-playable characters, and, and there, it's semi-complex. But in terms of the types of missions, it seems like from the reviews that I saw, the types of missions that you run into are pretty limited. There's like a handful of types of missions, uh, and then it sort of runs out of steam. But it takes place in Bolivia. And the Bolivian government was not happy with this game. So much so that the Bolivian government has filed a formal complaint, according to PC Gamer, with the French Embassy over Ghost Recon Wildlands. According to a Reuters report, Bolivia has called on the French government to intervene, in quotes, and said it reserves the right to take legal action on its own if it doesn't receive a satisfactory response. We have the standing to take legal action, but at first we prefer to go the route of diplomatic negotiation. I, I'm not sure what Bolivia would want uh, France to do about this. It's a, it's not the French government's responsibility or problem that uh, a video game company based in their country has put out a video game, a fictional work, with uh, another country as the backdrop to them. Is Bolivia going to deny that there is no longer any drug activity in Bolivia because there is. And I'm not saying it's as bad as it was in the 80s with you know widespread corruption and you know cartels basically running the show. I don't know enough about modern day Bolivia, but Bolivia, Bolivia was one of those you know South South American drug hubs, especially for cocaine in the 80s. And I'm sure there's still activity going on now, probably to a lesser degree, but there's probably something still going on now, and it's probably still corrupt to a degree. I'm not an expert on Bolivia, but it, it, it was heavily involved in the drug trade. That's not, it's undeniable. Uh, the French embassy in Bolivia didn't comment on the complaint, but Ubisoft issued a statement explaining why Bolivia was chosen for the game and emphasizing that its representation is entirely fictional. All right. <clears throat> Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands is a work of fiction similar to movies or TV shows. Like all Tom Clancy's games from Ubisoft, the game takes place in a modern universe inspired by reality. But the characters, locations, and stories are all fantasies created solely for entertainment purposes. Bolivia was chosen as the backdrop of this game based upon its magnificent landscapes and rich culture, while the game's premise imagines a different reality than the one that exists in Bolivia today. We do hope that the in-game world comes close to representing the country's beautiful topography and that players enjoy exploring the diverse and open landscapes it moved us to create. What they're saying is, yeah, we like the landscape. We probably knew you weren't going to throw too much of a hissy fit because you're Bolivia. You know, we can get away with it. You know, I mean, let's be honest. It's not, it, 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 Even if Bolivia banned the sale of this game entirely in their country, it's not like Ubisoft uh, is, is going to suffer that much. So, calculated risk, we like the topography, 
you know, we can get away with it. Why not? You know, but again, what the hell are they going to sue for? What are they going to sue for? That's like that's like the, the U.S. Uh, I'm sure there's games put out in other uh, areas of the world, whether it's Russia, China, the Middle East, that w- the, the U.S. are the bad guys. Or maybe they take place in the U.S. And it's just, it just depicts the U.S. as being awfully corrupt and, you know, uh, everyone running around is, is, a, is a monster. I, well, I'm not going to complain about that, and our government shouldn't either. Who the fuck cares? It's a work of fiction. You're going to sue over a... Uh, some sort of uh, cartoon that someone makes next, next, or a movie. I'm sure there's tons of movies where all countries from all over are depicted nastily in in, in certain movies. It's just it's just silly. Uh, I'm glad that uh, the French basically said, "Nah, what do you, what do you want us to do?" Ubisoft's like, "Nah, we don't care." You know, like, bitch and whine. Eh. You know, someone in the comment section uh, on Pizza Gamer said, "Bolivia is likely third in cocaine production worldwide." 25,000 hectares of coca fields. So, yeah, they're still involved. I mean, it's not, it's probably not as bad as, again as the 80s when that, that was probably one of the, the, their biggest export in the 80s was most likely drugs. But, you know, go Bolivia. Yeah. It's a little too early to make the final call on how well the Nintendo Switch is doing, obviously. It's only been out for, you know, a little over a week at this point. But it's doing as well as you could expect it to do, or as well as Nintendo could have hoped for it to do. According to uh, many sources, and Nintendo's, Nintendo themselves, it's the Nintendo's fastest-selling console ever. Ever! And that's that's impressive for a lot of reasons. One of which is that the, the Wii U was a failure, um, better than the Wii, which was a massive success. There's a lot more competition now, consoles, tablets, phones, and the fact that people thought Nintendo was down and out, which I always thought was silly, but the, the Nintendo is doomed people probably didn't help the matter as much, but the people that actually wanted the console usually don't listen to them anyway. So, um, almost 2 million are expected to be shipped for March, and that's not how many have sold out yet, it's somewhere between, I think it's around 1.5 million have officially sold to this point. But I don't think this is going to be still a 100 million Wii seller. But like my prediction said, it's definitely going to do better than the Wii U and it'll probably do better than the GameCube. My, my predictions still stand. I think you're looking at, uh, I, I said 24 soft, 35 to 40 on the more optimistic side. I, I'm now more heavily maybe going towards 30, pushing up my soft sort of estimate. But this is going to be a success. It's sold out everywhere. Nintendo is selling the system officially at a profit. I can't find them in San Diego. I can't. Uh, I probably had to have bought one by Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon before they were sold out. At least I gauging by my targets and when they say they're out of stock. And there's like 15 to 20 targets within a driving radius for me. And they're all they all said sold out by uh, Sunday morning uh, or Sunday afternoon. They were all, they all said sold out. Um, of course, though, you have scalpers. You have to say, well, Pat, people are buying them to scalp them, too. Those are still sales. They still count. Nintendo still pockets that money. The good news is that Nintendo made enough Switch systems. I think they made a perfect amount. Because I don't think many people expected them to sell them all out as quickly as they did. Because it's a March release, and the Wii U did, didn't do well. But 
the marketing was there. Super Bowl commercial. Commercials on ESPN I saw almost every day. Commercials during Monday Night Raw. Uh, wrestling for you out there. Uh, getting bigger YouTubers in on the action, which they did not do with the Wii U uh, five years ago. So they they lined their... their I got invited out to a Switch event. I couldn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, so that they got their ducks in a row. They produced, I, th- I thought, the proper amount to be safe for a March... Again, a March release which is not a, a time of year where a lot of people usually spend money. And they sold them out, at least at least what I see in, in the U.S. And the reason you can tell that they produced enough, just enough, is because these aren't getting scalped for that much. This isn't like back when the Wii came out where people were paying you know, $650, $700 for a $250 you know, system. Uh, I can buy one right now on Craigslist for about $350 in cash. Uh, and that's only about $25 more, or $20 more, depending on what your county, than what I would pay with taxes. So if I go out, I'm probably paying 325 to 330 with taxes, and people are only people are looking to get 350 360 That's not like a that's not a lucrative scalp right there. Those are people that are one step away from returning their switch to the store. You know, hopefully they re- they save the receipt and getting their money back within the thirty days, or whatever the window is for you know new electronics. So that tells me that Nintendo did a pretty damn good job with that. And then I went to my Target uh, and I did look on Sunday. I should have just went on Friday morning. I probably could have gotten one because uh, reports were a lot of stores had like at least fifty uh, uh, Switch consoles. When I went though on Sunday, I, I looked at two different targets within about a, 10 minutes from each other. And both of them had almost no Breath of the Wilds left. I think one target had the display one, you know, in that little plastic placard they have, placard, they have it there. Uh, they had that one. So they had one copy left at one target. The second store had had the one copy on the display and then one laying behind it. So we're talking Zelda was like almost sold out of these two targets. Obviously, that's the game everyone's going to buy. That's the killer app. I've heard that Bomberman is another strong seller so far, but Zelda's the game, obviously, which we'll get into about that. Um, so, the Wii sold 600,000 units during its first eight days on the market. Uh, the Switch has destroyed that mark. And the, and the Wii came out during the holiday season. That came out in November of 2006. Again, this is why this is such a great sign for Nintendo. So, I, I think what we're going to see is that now, now Nintendo's off to the best start they could have possibly have wanted in terms of the sales. Will this have legs? That's going to be the, the main question. Will, you know, you just satisfy the people that don't have it now that want it, which is some people, but not as many as already bought it, and then will it die out by the summer, or will it be consistent? And that's the key right now. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be telling how many people buy into uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at the end of April. How many get Splatoon 2? What was that? In June. Uh, because they have to get more systems out there to see to match that increased demand. Obviously. They have to do that. So, we're going to see then, especially in April, Nintendo has to stock more for April, which I think they will. I think that's a no-brainer. There's going to be more stock for April. If it wasn't planned already, they're going to you know, drop them with parachutes onto GameStop's targets and Best Buys. Because then I'll pick one up in April if I don't, you know, 
uh, bow to some scalper and spend three fifty on one, one right now. But I want the red and blue one though. I don't want the gray one. Eh, it's ordinary. You know, obviously, Breath of the Wild has been a huge success as well. Uh, confirmed to be the fastest moving launch title. Sold more than Mario 64 did. That's impressive. Less competition in the marketplace uh, 20 years ago versus now. You had the PlayStation. Sega consoles were, were dying out by the time the 64 came out in the U.S. Uh, Saturn was was dead on arrival in the U.S. So it's very impressive that Breath of the Wild sold more than Mario 64 did that soon, but also the fact that, again, there's uh, there's a lot more competition out there now. But people really wanted to succeed. Like I said, I think the fact that the Wii U was such a disappointment I think it even gave people more of a push to get this early to show support. I don't know if that's true, but I'm interested in getting one. I didn't get a Wii U until it was at least a year. I'm going to get a Switch. That's not to say, though, that this is a perfect system, obviously. There's issues with this. There's the left Joy-Con issue, which uh, the, rev- the people that reviewed it on major websites, gaming websites, said that, yes, the left Joy-Con does, does, does unsync for a time period. Nintendo's response to that was a little silly. They kind of acknowledge it without acknowledging it. Obviously, uh, they're not going to come out and, and say, oh, we fucked up all our Joy-Cons. Like, not everyone has the issues, but some people are. Uh, but they, they released a statement saying, you know, what, what you can do, you know, to sort of minimize this. You know, they said they're in fact-finding mode. Fact-finding mode. And they're investigating the issues. I don't know if this is a production issue. Certain run of, of these had this. Obviously, this can be corrected on, on future systems. This is in the Joy-Con itself. This is not uh, the actual tablet, which is great news for Nintendo. That's great news. Uh, they said, uh, da, 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 F- Reggie Fees may say, we're asking consumers a lot of questions. We want to get consumers on our helpline so we can get as much information to understand the situation as possible. We are in fact-finding mode to really understand the situation and the scenarios, and with that information, we will look and see what the next steps are. Okay? So, uh, Nintendo suggests... Nintendo support site suggests... (laughs) They gave a a, a list of things to keep your Switch system and your Joy-Con away from. Um, It was like, off the top of my head, it was like, don't put it near... You know, um, like 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 AC adapters. Keep it away from other Wi-Fi devices. Don't put it near your cell phone. Don't put it near a, a, an aquarium. I'm thinking, what Wi-Fi or Bluetooth is in an aquarium? But I don't know. I'm not into uh, fish. I don't collect fish or pets. I just think that's pretty funny. Again, this isn't an issue for everyone. And of course, if you have it, you know, right dock, you know, docked into uh, onto your tablet. Uh, there's no issue at all. It's just that when you're far th- further away, it can unsync for like I think people were saying like up to ten seconds. It'll unsync and it'll it'll catch back on. Of course, if you're battling in Zelda and that happens and you get killed, you can be you know that can be pretty bad. So I think Nintendo will fix this issue. And yeah, there's a big uh, YouTube video out there with with all the co- compilation of all the the issues people have had with their Switch. Whether you know the, they got got a unit that's just dead. There's uh, 
pixels, dead pixels on the screen, which can happen with any uh, device like that, with any tablet or, or even cell phone, you can have some dead pixels. Uh, so obviously that's that's bad, but I don't think those are wide widespread as much as even this Joy-Con issue, which isn't like everyone experienced the Joy-Con desyncing de- issue, which is some. So I, you can't fall out of two million consoles. There's going to be some that end up being that being dead on arrival. I mean that's just how manufacturing is. There's going to be some that aren't working. They're not exactly you know after they're constructing these, they're not running through a massive test with each of these before they get thrown into a box and out the door, you know. So, you have recourse, you have a warranty, Nintendo will get you a new tablet if you happen to have a bad one. Uh, in terms of the Joy-Con issue, which could be a larger issue, I, I think if if it was something like, um, you know, half of the people were complaining about it, I think Nintendo may not necessarily do a recall because it's just a Joy-Con, but they'd probably send out new Joy-Cons and take a hit there. Or, or give you a coupon to buy, probably most likely give you like a coupon to buy a replacement Joy-Con in a store. That would probably cost them a lot less money to do that. They would probably do something to that extent. But if you're having a Joy-Con issue, I'm not sure at this point, based upon how these are manufactured, if buying a replacement one in the in the one pack for $50 or the two pack for 80 for the two pack, uh, whether those are manufactured the same way, if you're going to have the same issues. So if you're really fearful out there, which I don't think you should be just for the most part, like I said, it's not a killer that the desyncing happens. It's not like it ruins your experience because, again, you can play it on the tablet. It only happens sometimes when you have it in docked mode. But if you want to wait, like, you're going to have to wait for them to clear up these manufacturing issues or to see what's going on. Uh, you might have to wait like three months because the ones that are going to be shipping out for April, they're they're on the boat already. They're coming over. So those are going to have the same exact issues. Uh, the ones in May, it might be too late for those as well. There's could be the sort of issue that doesn't get worked out until like a 2.0 version. And I'm not just saying I'm not saying like the super switch, but I mean like they really go back and they have to retinker for how this is designed. That that specific left Joy-Con, and then go back and then you know. Re- redo that assembly line process in their in their manufacturing, and then redo that. That could take months. So, if that's going to dissuade you from buying the Switch now, it won't dissuade me. It could for you. I wouldn't let that bother me personally. What's a bigger issue to me, though, is the fact that the people that are reporting uh, the scratches, the, the scratches on their system when they dock it. So what someone showed me with this was that it, it's more to do when you have the Joy-Cons attached. It seems like it's somehow there's less room to slide down the tablet into the dock. And you have to be really careful. The good news is that the people that are getting scratches on their Switch tablet, it's not on the screen itself, it's on the bevel around it. So it's it's not going to damage the, your gameplay experience. It's not going to affect it. But that's still inexcusable. I'm not, I'll, I'll be the first to say that that's not a good... That's a design flaw. And already, I went to GameStop, and I see you can buy not just the uh, protectors for the screen itself, which, by the way, is plastic, which I think is, is also a little cheap, but they got to keep the cost down. But it's not glass. It's not even what my cell phone is is uh, made out of, uh, what the Switch screen is. But they're already they're already selling little rubber pads in these kits uh, to attach to your tablet. So when you slide it in, there's there's a little more buffer for it. If it you know when you jiggle it down there, or try to pull it out, you don't rub it against the side of the of the uh, the dock. 
that that could be something that might be fixed again in the future on a, on a 1.1 revision, not necessarily a 2.0, like I said before, like a 1.1, or maybe they'll have a dock you can buy that w- w- will be better for that. Again, the good news is that th- this is not a failure. Breath of the Wild is getting rave reviews. People are call- already calling it the game of the year. You know, Nintendo put all their eggs in one basket with, basket with that game, but this is a game that's been in development for like five years. So why you know why not? They had the, they had the tech demo for for the game back you know five six years ago with 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 the original Wii U original Wii U, but with the Wii U the original game, and then this could have came out on the Wii U a year ago, but they held it back, which they had to. Otherwise, people would have been buying one two Switch and Bomberman, and then throwing their tablets out the window. So I'm gonna get one. We'll see. Nintendo didn't send me one. Sad, Pat. But um, I'm happy that Nintendo is uh, is back in the back in the saddle with this. Hopefully, the third parties come on board because I see the positive sales. Remember that, folks, as well. Uh, but for those that say Nintendo shouldn't make hardware again, I'm going to point again to okay, then they would have lost out on already making a profit, selling you know two million in March, and this is on their on the way to refilling uh, their Scrooge McDuck money bin because the Switch is not going to be a failure. It's going to be a moderate success at least. No Man's Sky is back in the news. Uh, we talked about an update that came out back in the fall. And this is a, a second update. The only reason why we're talking about this again is because these are features that many wanted in the game when it first came out last year, which is why the game was abandoned so quickly within a month, you know, losing 90% of its player base. This is the Pathfinder update that came out. I wish Ian was around to talk about this because he bought the game and he had fun with it. But imagine if imagine if the game launched with these features when it came out. Alright? And it's new vehicles, a permadeath mode, base sharing, ship and weapon specialization system, PlayStation 4 Pro update, which I believe means it. you get that, uh, not the higher definition, it's already in HD, Pat. Uh, you get that, that higher contrast, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, yeah, high contrast and garbage. Anyway, <laughs> so what you get on the PS4, you get graphic features, high and ultra resolution textures, more accurate ambient lighting, horizon based ambient occlusion. Not sure what that means. High contrast lighting effects, crepuscular rays from the sun. That sounds like a dessert. Improved post processing with several filter options. HDR, that's what I meant. HDR, not higher definition. HDR, which is basically greater contrast. HDR mode for compatible monitors and televisions. And you can get 4K resolution. Um, and the PC as well. You can share your bases. Bases was in that 1.1 upgrade, remember? Uh, that was the first sizable update. This is basically 1.2. Uh, you, you can share your, uh, your bases, what you put together, using Steam Workshop. There's now... Ship special specialization into four categories: shuttle, fighter, hauler, explorer. Shuttles are all around ships. Fighter specialize in in fighting, combat, combat, combat. Haulers have expanded cargo holds, and science vessel, vessels feature increased warp capabilities. And they're now rated by three, uh, four classes: A class, B class, C class, or an S class, which is a rare, hard to find one. Uh, with class, I'm guessing that means the stature of the ship in terms of its capabilities and probably how much it costs. And maybe an S1 is harder to find out in the market, or maybe you have to discover it. I don't know. I never played the damn game. Wish Ian was here for this. Uh, then there's uh, now land-based vehicles. 
Uh, and there's three of them, the Nomad, Romer, and Colossus. The Colossus is the biggest one, is good for carrying cargo. Um, and you can also take play, you can also make your own courses and do races on, on planets in a time trial creation. That's pretty, like, that's not, that's not a feature that no one asked to ever be in the damn game, and now it's in there. There's now a permadeath mode, which really is appealing in terms of, if you really want to be a, a survival game, you, your character has one life, or else you got to start all over from scratch, so you better be damn careful what you do. That's intriguing to me. That's very intriguing. There's also a new survival mode. Dying in space now will re- restart you on the nearest planet's surface away from your crashed ship. Alright. And then there's also uh, improvements such as NPC text appearing faster. It can be skipped. Are you telling me, that, you're telling me I couldn't skip text before? Oh my god. You, the, the, wow. Sign me up for that 1.2 upgrade. Uh, mission log lets you track multiple tasks at once. The UI easier to read. There's a lot more. But this is shit that, again, with the 1.2 stuff, which we talked about before in the 1.2 update, if this had been all in the original release last year, when did this game come out? Last June? If all these updates, August 9th, if these were on there, this would have been Game of the Year candidate. You wouldn't have people bitching, complaining, and asking for refunds. Uh, rightfully so, by the way. I'm not against that. But saying that this was false advertising, having investigations. If they had waited, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's it's uh Hello Games' fault. Sony had had something to do with it as well. They wanted this game out. But imagine if they had waited and 1.2 was the one point release, imagine the reception this would have gotten. This wouldn't be a, a 61% on Metacritic. And a 5 out of 10 on Steam. Absolutely would not have been. This would have been a, would have been received a lot better. You would have had a lot less com- complaints. And you would have been still readily uh, selling it. Or excuse me, steadily selling it week over week. Versus getting, yeah, a lot of people bought this game. Absolutely. But those sales died up pretty damn quick over the hype. I'm, and I'm not saying that there there isn't need for improvement still. There obviously is stuff that has to be done to this franchise to get it to where we do we, do we have the big dinosaurs yet? I still want the big brontosaurus dinosaurs for God's sake. But this is a game that I'm a, a lot more interested in. Having different ship classes, which to me is inexcusable not having that in the original release for a game that's supposed to be a you know exploring space and having combat and being able to you know, you have cargo and, and trade things. Like, how can you not have different ship classes for that? That's just, to me, inexcusable. But adding but adding uh, ground vehicles, uh, things of that nature, being able to store multiple ships, you can o- own more than one ship. Um, that's fantastic. Trading in your ship for, for uh, partial credit, like, a, like, a, like an intergalactic GameStop before you buy a new one. The Circle of No Man's Skies. Ship, ship sales. Um, so, this is all good news. Again, I'm not sure if this changed anyone anyone's mind who was pissed off when it was released. But for someone like me that would be on Steam one day, be like, oh, if this is a budget title, which I hopefully it is, what does this go for on Steam? Is this still like a sixty dollar game? Steam, no, sixty dollar game, no man's sky. What does this go for on Steam? 
This is still $60? Alright, they got they to do something like that. For, for some goodwill, they should really knock the price down at least on sale like 30 or 40 bucks to get people back in there. They really ship everything in. They've sold so many copies. Hey, Hello Games like, hey, we're in the money. Ha ha, honey. Let's talk a crowdfunding campaign that's in a little bit of a tarnished state that we spoke about before a little over a year ago. The Sinclair ZX Spectrum Vega Plus console. So there was an original Sinclair ZX Spectrum Vega that uh, came out in 2015 handheld ZX Spectrum. This was a follow-up to that. This was going to have the original one, I don't think, had its own screen. A lot more simpler in terms of buttons. This handheld proposed um, is, you know, fully functional, self-contained screen, a lot more face buttons, and was going to have a thousand built-in games. Now, we spoke about this, Ian and I. We, we were always, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it was into contrast at the time to the Going Down in Flames Coleco Chameleon campaign, which at the time, uh, I think the New York Toy Fair fraudulent SNES Mini in a Jaguar shell had just been released. So we're saying, well, this is a nice counterpart to that because this campaign is based upon uh, a prior product and it had Sir uh, Clive Sinclair of ZX Spectrum fame uh, and his name, Sinclair, he was backing it. So his name was on the project. So we thought from that, this is a project that you can get behind. Well, my apologies if based upon us talking about it, you went out and and uh, backed it for your handheld device. I actually thought about doing it at the time. So did Ian. Uh, but in retrospect, not the best idea to do that. Now, this isn't to say this uh, ZX Vega X, excuse me, Vega Plus handheld isn't going to come out. There's still a chance it could. But we're still some ways away from this coming out. And what has happened in a year was, oh my God. Oh my God. So looking back onto this, they raised um, 625000 US. There are thousands of backers for this handheld to this point. Let's see how many uh, thousands. You have 4,780 backers waiting for this. This was supposed to have come out last year. Originally, September 2016, this was going to ship out. This is in such a bad state now that Indiegogo has cut off the campaign from accepting uh, more money, which they have on demand on Indiegogo. Basically means you can leave a campaign open, unlike Kickstarter where you can't, uh, for more um, for more uh, backers. Because uh, due to the lack of communication... Uh, with the with the backers, uh, Indiegogo stepped in and did that. I had never heard of that before. Uh, Indiegogo stepping in, but but what's been going on is is isn't isn't good at all. It's, isn't good at all. Uh, so according to the BBC, what's been going on? All right. Uh, and by the way, Sir Clive Sinclair has been off this project for a while. Uh, there's been a lot of infighting between two different groups, which I'll try to get into. I don't know a lot about, but you had two different groups that were working together, and then there's potential legal ramifications with that. Indiegogo halted further fundraising because of delivery delays and a lack of communication to backers. The project organizers had asked the BBC not to reveal the development. I don't know why a project organizers wouldn't 
would ask a news organization not to reveal information like that, that makes you look even worse. Just communicate with your backers. If the project is going south and you are really making a project and not, you know, trying to take the money and run, there's no honesty is always the best policy to sort of just turn tail or to try to strong arm a news organization. That does, that's never going to work out. Um, the BBC, this is the BBC trying to defend themselves. They're afraid of getting sued, I, I think. The BBC understands no consoles have been delivered to backers, despite a pledge last month that they would ship after February 20, 2017. The company behind the project, Retro Computers Limited, suggested these details might put its team at risk. In quotes, following a credible threat of violence against personnel of Retro Computers Limited, including threats made as recently as last night, we asked... Uh, the technology desk editor, Leo Kellyon, and the BBC to refrain from publishing a story we believe to be factually inaccurate and might put people at risk of physical harm, alarm, and distress. Retro, Retro Computers Limited founder David Levi said in a statement on Wednesday, Since December 2016, the BBC have formally been on notice that this is a police matter, and we ask that the BBC and Mr. Kellyon do not compromise the police investigation. There's always going to be nut jobs out there. This isn't like the BBC is reporting upon, like, CIA operations or, uh, to them, MI6 operations, you know, with undercover agents that are, you know, at risk of getting killed, you know, in the Middle East on assignment trying to infiltrate ISIS. They're, they're talking about a, a, a fucking Indiegogo campaign that people are waiting uh, on the product for. You know, that's people people should be allowed to report upon that. It's just the bottom line. Uh, da, da, da. The BBC delayed publication of this report to give the RCL managing director, Suzanne Martin, t- time to provide evidence of the threats, but she did not do so. So the BBC said, okay, let's let's say what you're saying is true, that this can put you at, at risk, us publishing this article. Show us evidence of that. And Retro Computers Limited did not do that. Uh, Gizmodo published then deleted an article about the matter because it was it too was told of threats. True. Uh, so if you go on to the Indiegogo uh, site, lots of people are pissed, obviously, about the delays, but the lack of communication more so. But like I said, this this isn't exactly a Caligula Chameleon situation because these people have made a product before. They did that Sinclair one in 2015. They did the, did the original Vega after a smaller uh, fundraising campaign. So there's, there's like, these are people that could do this project. The problem is it, it's been handled awfully to this point in terms of communication and what's been going on. But they're, they're now trying to backtrack into, into uh, try to let people know what's going on on the Indiegogo page. But this is stuff that seems like it's so far behind that they should have got out uh, ahead of this. The team at Retro, why do all these bad companies are called Retro? Retro Computers Limited. RCL originally said the new Spectrum v- ZX Vega Plus was due to go into production in the summer of 2016, and, and it might even be able to improve on this delivery date. But by 2016, by December 2016, after the BBC contacted RCL to ask about the status, uh, the broadcaster BBC was threatened with legal action. I, that's that's not good. That's not good. They said it's a malicious campaign to denigrate our client's reputation. You can't go after a news organization like that. If they're not reporting anything false, you cannot go after that. And if they are reporting something false, then go after them. Get your lawyers and go after them. Um, like I said before, this is like a cool concept. 
and I'll get into the fact that they're they're finally showing production models of this, or I guess prototype production models of this. But you got your four buttons on the D-pad. You got your little LCD screen, menu button. You have action buttons. It looks like about seven seven face buttons, and there's supposed to be a thousand games that this lo- that uh, this legally will ship with, which is why you and I are like, this sounds like a cool idea. So this is what this is what they've said. RCL Retro Computers Limited. They they posted a lot of uh, updates to sort of reiterate what's been going on. In terms of the legalese, though, um, the legal action is between two different entities. It's between uh, the, uh, Cornerstone Media International and and Nicholas Malcolm Cooper uh, versus uh, Retro Computers Limited. So there was a court hearing on March second. Uh, they can now explain the legal action which has been taking place between their company and their former sales agent, Cornerstone Media, and its director and owner, Nicholas Malcolm Cooper. Retro and Cornerstone entered into a sales agreement on May 3rd, 2015, which related to Retro's projects. The Sinclair ZX Spectrum Vega Games Console. That's the original one I told you about. Retro terminated the agreement on May 9th, oh, my birthday, 2016, for breaches of that agreement. Retro then commenced proceedings against Cornerstone on July 27, 2016. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Uh, da, 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 order was served, comply. And on January 31st, Mr. Cooper put Cornerstone into liquidation. Okay. There's something going on with a legal battle between the prior sales agent uh, and them. So what I'm guessing is it has to do with the stock, and maybe the sales agent is now saying, well, I still think this is valid, this agreement, and you're not going to sell the ZX Spectrum Vega Plus, the new product, without my say-so, without me being involved. I'm guessing this is part of the problem at this point. That's all I can say about that. I'm not an expert on what's been going on this legally. All I know is that Clive Sinclair has been gone for this. Sir Clive Sinclair has not been a part of this for a while. There was another delay, though, a technical delay, that due to testing of the product. They discovered, this is a, this is an update they put out five days ago, on March 10th. Um, they discovered during the final t- uh, test of the product that for three of the user features which had been announced for the product had not yet been implemented. The problem was because the God, it's, their former managing director and former technical director resigned last year, didn't hand over all of, I guess, all the stuff they thought they needed to do this, uh, but all the assets were not handed over and excluded the software for the Vega Plus which had already in December 15 been developed to the point of having working prototypes available. Jesus Christ. So, lots of problems. I'm not, I don't want to get into this more. I'm getting into the weeds here. But we're talking about rights issues, uh, people leaving, uh, termination of, of, of agreements from a sales agent, agent. So, the good news, like I said, they're still, I think they're still trying to make this stupid thing. They have people's money. Uh, they're, they're trying to make it, but this has just been down a really bad road of circumstances at this point. All right, we're going to see what happens with this. My recommendation, again, with with a lot of this hardware stuff, you have to have a working prototype, or should have a working prototype, in order to put your money down right away for, for, a, for a console, hell, a fucking calculator, an Indiegogo Kickstarter. Have a working prototype before you put your money down. Any game console in the future, whether it's Caligo Chameleon in the past, in the future, uh, Retro Blocks, make sure there's a working prototype that you see working before you put your money down. 
because I'm not saying this is malicious intent with the people behind the, the Vega Plus console, but bad shit does happen in the business world, and especially in manufacturing, uh, in terms of software, hardware, a freaking sales agent, or you terminate the agreement, and then there's some weird shit going on behind the scenes. Anything can happen, and, uh, you know, like, and any uh, crowdfunding campaign, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you're not guaranteed to get what you're putting your money down for, except for a certain NES guidebook. Besides that, all right, this is news that isn't shocking based upon where the industry has been going in terms of consoles and PCs sharing a large majority of games, and especially with uh, the Xbox Play Anywhere program that is now kicking off, where if you have Windows 10 and you buy an Xbox One game, uh, there's going to be games that are supported where if you buy it on the Xbox One, uh, for the Xbox One, that game, you don't need an Xbox One to play it necessarily. You can also just play it on your PC. So basically, we're coming to the end, at least for Sony and Microsoft, quickly. Not It's not dead yet, but we're, we're fast-forwarding to the end of the distinguishing between a video game console and PC, even more so, because now you'll be able to play a chunk of the games, even that were exclusive before, on your PC. So the Xbox Play Anywhere initiative is the first one to do that. But now Sony has announced uh, with their PlayStation Now uh, streaming service, which is uh, exists for, let's see, you can get that on uh, Samsung t- uh, smart TVs. You can get that on Bravia TVs uh, and Microsoft Windows. Well, that's a chunk of people right there. Uh, it's a streaming service. You pay $99 a year. Currently, you can get over 300 PS3 games. Um, save progress to the cloud. <sighs> Which I guess is cool. Connect your DualShock 4 wireless controller or any other compatible controller to a USB port. USB port. port. <laughs> so before it was PS3 games. But now Sony's announcing this year that PS4 games are coming to this service. That's a natural progression, obviously. It makes sense, because there are people out there that'll never buy a PS4 to get PS4 exclusive games. Why Why would they? They're probably satisfied with the amount of games either on Steam and or Xbox One and or their Nintendo console and or, you know, an NES laying around. And these companies like Sony and Microsoft realize that it, at the... At, in the long run, software is where it's out for them because these are companies that don't really make profits on hardware. So why not abandon that altogether? This is thing. These are these are points that people are making about Nintendo forever. Except Nintendo makes profit on their consoles. Sony, by and large, has not. Microsoft, yeah. So well, with the Red Ring of Death, they sure did. People buying the same uh, 360 console 17 times. But all right. People are, uh, there's some people thinking that this is going to start coming out in August, though, with PS4 games uh, coming out. Uh, there's going to be a PS4 private test, quote unquote, in a few weeks. Current subscribers have been told to keep an eye out their email inboxes for a possible invite. So I'm guessing some people will be said, oh, try out our PS4 games on the streaming service and see what you think by that. Uh, also, smart TVs from Sony. I should have mentioned that before. Uh, and then uh, you can play PS Now games on your portable PlayStation Vita, for those out there that still are using those as well. All right. 
This is, of course, is going to be a latency issue if you're streaming games from the cloud. Uh, is it going to look as, as nice as a, a dedicated console? Pr- probably not. Can you play a, like a, a first-person shooter and, uh, against people online and expect there to be no lag? Probably not at this point in, in time. Um, but in the future, as we get better broadband everywhere, maybe that'll be something. But this is, again, this is a step in the direction. I, obviously, it'll be totally game over when they do like a Play Anywhere Xbox sort of thing with the Sony games where you buy, I go to the store, I don't have to own a Sony console. I go to the store, I buy, uh, you know, a PS4 exclusive, uh, Uncharted uh, 7, I, I come home, I install the the PS uh, Now software, there's a code on that disc where I put the disc in and I load it up or whatever and I can play it on my PC. That's where we're headed, folks. I'm not saying it's happening this year. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen uh, where you're going to get to the point where you're going to have your PC, you'll be able to play a chunk of the Xbox exclusives and Sony exclusives on there. Absolutely. It may not be the same exact game playing experience, but you'll be able to. And then Nint- plucky Nintendo will still be out there. Stubborn Nintendo making their billions of dollars with, with their Super Switch in 2020. So right now, the three options for the PlayStation Now service, you have $20 for one month. Who would do that? 45 for three months, eh, a little better, or you get 99 bucks for a full year, which is kind of like a little over Amazon Prime, more in line with like a Netflix sort of pricing model, which I guess would be reasonable depending upon the number of games you're going to play on this. I don't know anyone that has the PlayStation Now program, PS Now. Anyone in the comments, let me know. Is that is that is this something cool? Or if you're a PS4 uh, owner, do you feel uh, like a, a jilted lover that others will be able to play PS4 games without buying an expensive console and expensive controllers? I don't know. But um, this at least gets us to a point where, like I said, we don't have to buy glorified, not even glorified, underpowered uh, gaming PCs every four years in order to play these semi-exclusive games. Nintendo has won a pretty big court case in Canada against a mod chip seller. All right? Huge case. This is a copyright case in Canada. Accused Ghost Cyber Shopping GCS and its founder, Jeremy King, of illegally selling 3DS flashcards, mod chips, and other piracy-oriented tools. All right. Okay? This is the first case of its kind to test the Canadian copyright acts anti-circumvention anti-circumvention measures um, so that we have the Digital Millennium Copyright Act in the US this is kind of along those lines for Canada All right. Um, a Canadian legal expert Michael Geis said that the court rejected GCS's claims that support for homebrew games made the sales acceptable um, so that was always an argument for methods of, of piracy is that well, with flashcards, uh, you can, you know, this is one of the only ways you can easily do homebrews. Which, yes, it is, but that's not why 99% of people are buying flashcards. Let's be honest. I'm not against flashcards, by and large. Let's keep that in mind, too. I own them. But it's bullshit to think that they mostly exist for homebrew development and for playing homebrews. No, it's for playing, it's for playing copyrighted games that exist illegally. That, that's why they exist. And, and I guess the, the jury in Canada uh, agreed with that. So the law... Um, let's see. Uh, the law allows circumvention for the sale, sake of interoperability. This is the Canadian uh, Copyright Act. 
but that wasn't the case here. But the person selling uh, these flashcards even boasted about its activity according to Nintendo. So the damages were 9.5 million US. Holy shit. And a, and a formal apology on the website. So, wow. I'm, I, I, there's a moral to this story here. I'm guessing the moral of the story is that if you're going to sell these, don't do it in a country that has strict copyright laws like the U.S. or Canada. You only can get away with selling this stuff, I guess, nowadays um, if you're a big retailer, probably probably out of Asia or Russia uh, because they, for the most part, have a lot less strict copyright laws. You know, you, you can walk into stores there and not have to worry about it. You can buy pirated software and, and games and flashcards in stores. It's not like you can walk into a Target in the U.S. and buy a flashcard. You can't do that. Because Nintendo would come down on Target in a heartbeat because we have laws that protect copyright owners. So, do I feel bad for GCS? Well, they, they knew the risk. Um, and they went to court and they lost. Uh, I mean, it is what it is, you know. Uh, people are still going to be able to buy flashcards, but Nintendo did make an example out of them. Absolutely. Uh, Engadget says, This case serves as an example of both the benefits and pitfalls of strict anti-circumvention laws, regardless of where they're instituted. Canada's laws helped shut down an outfit that was largely profiting from piracy, but Geist warns that there is a potential for this law to be abused or inadvertently stifle progress. Good copyright law, he argues, has to give reasonably broad exceptions for fair use so that companies can exploit the law to shut down competition. Nintendo is above board here, but that won't necessarily be true in the future. So what he's saying is, what Nintendo did was right, but if there's enough uh, looseness in the law, companies can uh, abuse this and go after companies for real fair use to circumvent, you know, say... say um, Say someone's putting up a server for a 15-year-old game that doesn't that you can't play anymore without a server existing to access it, for example, information. So he's saying, what if a company went after that person for doing that? You know, which that'd be clearly fair use to do something like that, at least in my opinion. But you wouldn't want a company to, to go after someone for something as innocuous as, as that. Yes, yeah, selling flashcards, absolutely. You know, selling pirated software, of course. Something like that, that's a bigger gray area, that could be more troublesome. But, you know, this is, you know, Nintendo's going to get $12.76 million out of this unless GCS files for, for bankruptcy. I think it's funny that it's not just the, the money, they have to issue an apology on the website as well. So, I can picture Nintendo, like, uh, making them have, like, not just, like, the, the, you know, like a letter, but they'll give them an, they'll, they'll draw a, a graphic of Mario, like, in, like, a... A judge's robes with like a gavel, like all cute, like Dr. Mario wearing a stethoscope and, you know, in his uh, doctor's outfit, just like a judge, like, it's a me, a Mario, I just beat your ass in court. I don't know. I just think that's fine. I just thought of that right now. It's like whenever you see like Nintendo legal letters of the past or warning consumers, they almost always, they almost always had, you know, a cute little Mario um, graphic with that. If I go if I go to go cyber shopping right now, um, if you look, let's see, are they are they selling the mod stuff still? Let's click on Nintendo 3DS. Uh, no products available. DSI. No products available. 
looks like they're not selling them anymore. 3DS, no products available. How about for a fatty DS? Anything with that? Well, you can just buy a memory card, regular memory card. You cannot buy them anymore. All right. Looks like Nintendo, they weren't they weren't playing around. It's time for the CU Podcast sponsors. YouTube channel Twincade is giving away two, two Nintendo Switch consoles. All you have to do to enter is to search for Twincade on YouTube. Once there, look at their recent videos and check out the Switch giveaway video. To enter, simply subscribe and comment on the giveaway video. The winner will be chosen on March 20th, 2017. So get there now and, you know, tell them the CU Podcast sent you. It won't help you on your chances, but, you know... I'll, they'll appreciate it, and I will too. That's Twincade on YouTube for their Switch giveaway. Loot Crate! On a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than 20 bucks a month. Whether you're shopping for the geek in your life, or if you are that geek, that dirty geek, Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming. Every month there's a different theme and new exclusive items you can get with only, only with Loot Crate exclusive. That's what that means. Treat yourself every month or give the gift of geeking out to a friend or loved one. Check out LootCrate.com slash Pat. Enter code Pat to save 10% on any new sign-up. The Marsh theme is... Hear that roar in the distance? Hear that call? Will you answer it? This month we're going primal and unleashing the beasts of some of pop culture's most ferocious franchises. This savagely sweet collection has items from Overwatch, Wolverine, Jurassic World and Predator, and includes, as always, the monthly tea and pin. You have until March 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive the March themes primal crate. When the cutoff happens, that's it, it's over. You won't get it until till April, the April crate. Head over to lootcrate.com slash pat and enter code pat to save 10% on any new subscription today. I want to discuss... Colin Moriarty leaving kind of funny. The YouTube channel, the podcast, the streaming enterprise, they're huge on Patreon. Before Colin left, they had two different Patreon accounts getting a combined $55,000 a month. Even split five or more ways, that's a lot. But kind of funny was started by four individuals, the, the two biggest ones being Colin Moriarty and, um, Greg Miller, they leave IGN a few years ago. Four guys decide, hey, we want to do our own thing, start our own Patreon, and it worked. They have a daily daily uh, live sort of podcast stream, whatever you want to call it, live stream. Uh, they do different shows on the side. Very successful. So what's interesting coming out of this sort of, I guess, the mainstream journalism media with guys like Kind of Funny leaving IGN, Easy Allies, Rising from the Ashes of Game Trailers ending, is that people are using the old games journalism as a, a stepping stool or a pedestal to brighter and better things for themselves with more freedom, which is absolutely fantastic if you want to do that. Because uh, these big companies don't necessarily give a shit about you. So why not get your experience, learn what you have to do, Get some exposure, writing your articles, being an editor, etc., etc., doing content, learning your trade, and then using it to branch off on your own as an entrepreneur, start your own company. That's fantastic. Uh, Colin stood out from the rest of his partners 
are kind of funny for uh, a, a specific reason, which I'll get into, which which is what I think spurned this him leaving kind of funny on Monday the 13th. But one particular incident that happened last week was sort of the match that lit the, I guess, lit the gasoline drum on fire. So on there was a, a quote-unquote day without women, which was on March 8th. That was last Wednesday. To promote women's rights, there was a lot of protests. One of the biggest sort of, I guess, mass protests that happened worldwide was in certain countries, uh, women would not, I guess... I'm not sure how this worked, and I'm not here to speculate or to talk about the rationale behind the effectiveness of doing this, but women would not show up for work. So they, so basically, the point was to show what would a, a day without women be in terms of at the workplace, maybe purchasing products, etc. So Colin tweeted out, at no taxation, that's his Twitter account, which I follow, ah, peace and quiet, hashtag a day without a woman. And then it got, I don't know, a couple thousand retweets, lots of likes. People noticed this. Um, Thousands of likes. And of course, people would come after you for something like that. And I think Colin understood that on a day where it's supposed to be about women's rights and uh, bringing awareness. I think he realized that a a joke like that, even, you know, ah, peace and quiet is the old sort of tale about, you know, it's it's an old sort of Al Bundy-esque joke. Or, you know, just an old-fashioned sort of joke that women are allowed. And, and some women, you know, some men out there was probably think, yeah, the woman I'm with is loud. I mean, some women are, are not loud. Some men are loud. Some men are not loud. But I think people saw his his uh, tweet as a, a sort of joke against all women being sort of loud and unruly. And that's where he got backlash about it. Uh, Colin said in his statement when he left... That this was not the the reason he 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 left. Kind of funny. Uh, his, on Facebook, he posted this with a heavy heart and great sadness that I announced my resignation from Kind of Funny, effective immediately. This morning, the guys and I had a constructive conversation and feel that with our separate visions for the future and for the direction of the company, it's time to go our separate ways. I want to be clear that this was my decision, just as we collaborated as friends. So do we part. So too do we part. I hope you continue to support them. I simply want to reconnect with what's, what's, with what's most important to me. Politics, history, philosophy, reading books, talking about things I feel are most impactful and essential for a person like me. I want to thank everyone for their support of me and us over these years. I, I started writing about games professionally in 2002 as a freshman in college. Never, ever did I think I'd reach the heights I did. I owe a great deal to an audience that gener- that's generously su- sustained me, supported me, and followed me. And I also owe a lot to those who gave me opportunities to begin with. I will always remember and be grateful for this entire experience. Opportunities are already popping up for me, bringing me in a new, different, and exciting direction. A direction that I feel makes perfect sense for me. Obviously, you haven't seen or heard the last of me. Far from it. I hope that when I return with what's next, you will support me there, just as you've supported me over these many years, your friend Colin. So there was a firestorm over this tweet. Again, you know, I don't know what his intention was. Was Twitter is awful for telling jokes. It's hard to have a context with just words with no winky or emoticons, you know, or you're texting someone, you throw in a little uh, kissy face with a heart emo- emoji. 
uh, as Frank would spell it out, A-M-O-G-E, which is funny with his new cell phone. But I think Colin realized he'd get backlash. But I don't think he cared, nor really should he, because it's a tweet. Twitter is for silly shit. You spread information quickly on Twitter. You, you, you tell dumb jokes. You say stuff that's here today, gone the next minute. That's the essence of Twitter, is that, yes, there's a record of everything there, unless you delete it, but the way the information flows through, it's what's been most up-to-date for that minute, that hour, that day, and the next day, it's all fresh. It's, it's like an ADD form of communication, Twitter. That's the way I look at it. And that's the way I think most people treat it. And it's also a great way to get news up to the minute. Uh, that's not necessarily sourced correctly, uh, but it's a, it's a way a lot of things break. With people on the ground, they have their phones, they're taking videos, whether it's a protest, you know, a, a terrorist attack, uh, a sporting event, uh, some sort of a political rally, what, what have you. Twitter is a quick way to get news out there. Absolutely. And what I want to say about this is that the reason why I don't think this is a huge deal, and I and I wish Ian was here to hash out these thoughts more. Ian is sick, by the way. He's not feeling well uh, this week. I think we would agree 60 to 70%, but there's definitely areas where we don't would not agree. The reason why Twitter is interesting to me is that you can see thoughts from people when they're retweeted or liked from other people that you connect to or if they get enough popularity that you're not necessarily following. But for the most part, the only way, for the most part, I'd say 95% of the time, the only way you will see someone's tweet is if it's shown to you or if you're following that person. Then you'll see their communication to the world. That, to me, in my mind, means that unless you're seeking out the information, it's in a way hidden from you, and therefore you express that information on an avenue like Twitter isn't to me as big of a deal, especially uh, because it's 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 so fleeting and it's gone. So, in those ways, I think Colin's joke, you might think it was ill-timed, you might think it was... I think it, it, it was so corny that I can't believe people got pissed at it. That's when I saw it. I was like, a peace and quiet joke about women is so... It's so old-fashioned that you have to not take it seriously. That's how I saw it. I think that's how he meant it as well when he clarified it as like an old dad joke. But of course people came after him. And you have the right to go after someone. If you want to, even though I think it's it's not... I, I wouldn't agree with it. I think it's a waste of your energy and time. And I always think there's sort of weird motives, uh, especially around something like a tweet uh, like this. This isn't like him saying something egregious or awful in his main form of his main form of communication nowadays, which are uh, videos, video content, live uh, live streams with the other three members of Kind of Funny, which is what it used to be. Uh, a tweet is not his main source form of, of, I guess, entertainment or medium. So what happened, though, was there was fallout with other members of his group, two in particular, uh, Tim Geddes and Greg Miller, who's sort of the, the de facto, I guess, head of the group, also a co-founder. Uh, Tim responded to a couple of people in, the, I guess, that thread that, I guess, thought that that joke was no big deal. And Tim said, these aren't the sort of fans I want. Which I thought was, well, that's an interesting response to someone making a joke that's uh, your friend and co-founder of the group you're on every day. Um, but then 
we can get into that, but I don't want to talk about that too much since I don't know Tim's relationship to Colin and what they spoke about before or after that. But it seemed at the time that Tim was taking to task uh, some of Colin's fans, which are, are in part, or at least uh, mostly, I would say, fans of Kind of Funny at the same time, which would mean they're a fan of Tim, uh, a fan of, uh, of Tim as well, which means that's a problematic statement, because when you're saying these aren't the type of fans or followers I want... They are, though. So, I mean, and those are the fans you've you've gotten to that point partially or largely because of Colin's following as well, which overlapped to, to Tim's. That's a whole other side conversation. I don't want to get into that. Uh, that's a whole, that's a little bit philosophical as well, about where's the cutoff between, if you're in a group, uh, the accountability of, a, of someone versus, uh, a separate entity versus me. How much are our entities intertwined in what one says over another because our success is is correlated to a degree. But Greg Miller's tweet was interesting. He quote tweeted it, and he definitely did not agree with what Colin had to say with this uh, peace and quiet joke, which to me was fairly innocuous. There are some that disagree. Uh, with so many of you asking me about Colin's tweet, I wanted to talk to him in person before I said anything here. If you know me, you know I hate feeding into internet drama. But with this involving a friend slash partner slash business, it's a bit different. All right. I fall into the camp that believes the tweet was in poor taste. Colin and I have spoken about that at length. Uh, by the way, Colin is roommates with Greg, just so you know. I'm personally sorry to, I'm personally sorry to the uh, uppercase best friends who felt slighted on a day meant to celebrate. Best friends is sort of the encompassing term for the fans of Kind of Funny, the same way uh, screw attack uh, fans were G1s. Um, was Collins tweet a joke? Sure, but that doesn't make it okay. Context is important. On podcasts, I've joked about hypothetical abortions, Kevin's German grandpa, and so on. There, said with a laugh and Nick being Nick, everyone's in on it. On Twitter, as I've learned so many times, there's no tone or contextual clues. The number of times I've said something only to see it interpreted a different way is innumerable. I don't use that word enough. That happened here. I wish it hadn't. We're talking about it as a group. In deference to the rest of the company's founders, and frankly, against my own wishes, Colin isn't going to PAX East anymore, which happened to be the past weekend. What timing, right? He wants our fans to enjoy our panel without any distractions. While I don't agree with his choice, I respect that Colin's a well-spoken dude with great ideas, and he's also consistently said and done controversial things for the decade I've known him. Um... We don't always or even often agree with him, but that's who he is, and he understands more than anyone that his words can can and do have consequences. I hope he'll think more about that than in the future. That's the two statements I sort of have an issue with, or two sentences, but I'll get into that. When we broke away to do kind of funny, we wanted to build a community that celebrates the good and strives to be better than the internet commenter. We didn't accomplish that today, and we'll do better tomorrow. So... Greg is walking a very fine line. This is his roommate again. So he's running a business, a successful one. Greg's good at promotion. If you, if you watch the live streams, he's good at talking about the Patreon, promoting it, giving out a game a day. Um, they, they do their live events. Uh, they're out at PAX East. He's, he's, a, he's a moving and a shaking. He's, he's running the show. He's the Vince McMahon of the group. You know, he's selling it to you. He's also producing content for them. You know, he's running the business, but he's also friends, but he's also a business partner with, with all, all these guys. And he's in a situation now where he has to either totally stand by what 
Colin said and be like, it's no big deal. He has to say, it's no big deal, but who cares, which is an option. He has to say, I don't like it, but it's not a big deal, which was an option. Or, like he said here, I don't like it, and it is a deal. Maybe not a huge deal, but it is a deal. And he explained why it's a deal. And I'm not going to get into whether or not his decision is erroneous or not. Personally, I think he could have stated it a little bit differently. But he's running a business at the end of the day. And he has to make a calculation. His calculation is this. If I don't say anything and implicitly support what people are getting pissed about, will I then look bad to the community that's funding this Patreon? And that's how they make their money, by and large. Their YouTube views are not supporting their production values, their show, um, and the five or more people that are working with them. Their YouTube views are not doing it. The Patreon is doing it. The, the 55000 a month is absolutely doing it. And they do a great job, by the way. I'm not saying they don't. Uh, but he's thinking that, you know, in dollars and cents, that's... The, and plus his own personal beliefs probably intertwined as well. But how is this going to affect the bottom line versus letting it slide? That's definitely a thought. And don't think it's not. And, it's, and he's not wrong for thinking that. He can think that. He's running a business. He's supporting... Uh, he's helping support Colin... Uh, he's helping support everyone else on the show. Uh, Nick, Tim, people behind the scenes. He was uh, what trending uh, gamer of the year, whatever, a couple of years ago. So he's uh, Greg's a pretty big deal in sort of the you know gaming community at this point. So I, I'm not though. I don't agree though that this was the only route he could have went, or maybe it's even the route he should have went. Um, because as with with Twitter, social media. Shit blows over pretty quickly. Outrage culture that exists on Twitter has a half-life of like three fucking days. It's, it's gone. And people only respond to the outrage culture if you acknowledge it and feed into it. And I'm not saying you should let everything slide, especially if it's your company. But if they were going to go after Colin for this old-fashioned joke, it would have been something else. So, when push came to shove, I think this was going to happen anyway. Maybe not with this specific tweet, but it was going to happen. And I think there was going to be a, a sort of fork in the road that would have happened at some point. Colin has been very outspoken about politics the past, at least for what I've seen, five months. Um, he's a self-proclaimed, uh, he's libertarian, he's conservative, in the gaming journalism uh, community, that's very uncommon, if not rare, especially living in San Francisco. In San Francisco, it's like he's the little Samson of games journalism in terms of rarity. You know, there's not many, especially outspoken conservatives, um, Republicans that exist in San Francisco, let alone working in the games journalism industry. We know that Kotaku, Polygon, you know, Gizmodo, they lean lean, like, very heavily left, if not at least moderately so left. So, I'm not saying that's a consideration or why he left, but it, there definitely was a schism there between, I think, him and his co-hosts, and I think that sort of maybe bled into their relationships with others in the industry. Because he was attacked. And this is what was sort of shocking. And I've only been following Colin's work uh, for maybe the past three months. Ever since I saw something posted about him talking about why people felt the need to vote for Trump, even though 
Colin didn't vote for Trump. He saw why people were frustrated with the system and why, especially the Democratic Party, they thought was abandoning them. So why this is why I'm voting for Trump. You know, and Colin didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Trump. That's a whole other issue. But this is but he explained why he thought there was a case to be made for why people were doing it. It wasn't just all oh, these are just all racists out there. And that's when I first started watching Colin and sort of following him more and more. I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty sharp. You know. But he he's been attacked by people that he used to work with at IGN publicly. He's been attacked by people that work at GameSpot. GameSpot, 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 Games, Games, what? GameSpot. I thought I was saying uh, GameStop for some reason when I really wasn't. GameSpot, <laughs> IGN, I saw even Rooster Teeth attacking him and dogpiling. And I think they saw this was their, this was their opportunity to do that, to go after him. So there's one of two reasons why. I mean, it's a combination. Colin seems to be a little bit, um, little rough around the edges, probably with how he gets along with people. I'm I'm similar to some aspects. People get on me for being, you know, Pat's a little bit of an asshole. That's how I came up with the punk moniker. Sometimes it can be a little bit hard to swallow in, in, in personal interaction. Didn't mean it like that. Um, so maybe they had an axe to grind against Colin. Maybe they didn't get some people didn't get along with them. Some people it's hard to get right away. I've been told, uh, for me sometimes I'm a little bit harsh to deal with. Especially if I like you, I'm usually a little bit harsher. You know, you know, tough love, and that's the way I am. Mean, it's an East Coast thing. I have no idea. But I can definitely say that some of the, re- the reasons why people went after him, or a-, a chunk of it, was because of his political leanings. Colin sort of stands for... He stands for not just the game journalists that are either closeted Republicans or conservatives that are afraid to speak out, but definitely game developers uh, that would be less likely to give their views because they're afraid of backlash from the left or the liberals out there. And don't say there is no backlash um, because there is backlash that exists. And even if you're left-leaning, you have to see that there's backlash when someone that's a conservative, libertarian, speaks up about things in public, in the games journalism or game developer um Medium. It exists. It does. I'm not saying... I'm not going to get to the argument about how harsh it is or how justified you may think it is based upon your beliefs. I'm just saying it does exist. So I think all of that. And then Colin has been getting more and more into politics. Uh, He disappeared on Glenn Beck because of of all this uh, outrage against his tweet. Uh, He appeared on Glenn Beck. He was on the Rubin Report before the uh, tweet which is a uh, political show, and uh, Ruben is a conservative. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's going to have him on. Joe Rogan, I would say, is more of a centrist, kind of a little left-leaning, probably uh, more socially, at least. But uh, I, I believe Colin is probably more socially liberal, or at least a libertarian. So that lines up with Joe Rogan. So the whole point is that Colin's going to be fine. I think Colin uh, wanted to move in this direction, Maybe not this quickly, but I want to talk about the uh, one of the one of the reactions I saw, um, and I wanted to make sure I caught part of the uh, once they're back from Pax Pax East, the kind of funny broadcast on Monday, and they brought up Colin. Colin appeared; he was in the studio uh, for about five minutes. 
uh, did a joke as he was playing the janitor. But something was brought up about to Greg about doing a, a, a political show. Like, why can't Kind of Funny have a political show? Why not let, which basically is saying, why not let Colin do politics on the side? And what Greg said was sort of telling. He said, well, we have to think about doing that. We have to get another person. And maybe in a year, in a year and a half now, we're not there yet. Which, I, which unfortunately is very short-sighted because you were there with Colin. Colin could have branched off from the gaming content and sort of tippy-toed into the political stuff. Yes, that's time away from doing games and things of that nature. But I think this is where, not the industry is heading, but as you get older, you might want to talk about certain things. And I think Colin realized, hey, I talked about games for a long time. Maybe I want to try to do, like he said in a statement, things that I, I love, politics being one of them, and do that more. So unfortunately... I think this was, a, this was a lost opportunity for Kind of Funny. You had a guy that, if you let it happen, peers on Glenn Beck, um, and, and this is whether or not you agree with Glenn Beck. He's, quote-unquote, uh, a guy in the mainstream outside of gaming. Joe Rogan, absolutely one of the most successful podcasts, millions of followers. This is going to lead somewhere for Colin. And I think Kind of Funny uh, could have capitalized on this and co- could have branched out into not just games, politics, maybe social discussion, using Colin as sort of the guy to lead them there. But I think they might have felt outside pressure, uh, the rest of the kind of funny crew, because they, they figured, okay, Colin's now a lightning rod. He doesn't have the same beliefs that we on the show do, which was fine to that point, but they were getting now pressure from former, I guess, again, this is some of the, the tweets that, that came in. Um, Justin Davis who, for uh, executive editor, IGN Features, comes out Colin. Is this really the person you want to be? Which I, that's sort of a, what does that even mean? It it was a a weird Twitter joke that maybe was ill-timed or didn't hit the mark, but, oh, is this the person you want to be? What does that mean? And then Brian Altano, um, who I, who's also host producer of IGN Beyond Up at Noon, Coast comedian for the comedy, the comedy button. Well, this is a whole other conversation. Why does every podcast now have to be kind of funny comedy button? I don't know. Anyway, he comes at Colin saying, uh, "The irony of this tweet is that not only do you work with no women, you work with some of the loudest men on earth." I'm not sure what that means, especially since there is a woman that works. A kind of funny, but whatever. We're not, don't let the truth get in the way of your snarky reply. But these are people that have gone at Colin before behind the scenes. They just didn't like Colin for his attitude and or political beliefs. But I think this could have started spilling off more onto the rest of the crew. And they maybe they didn't want to be associated with Colin. Either way, they had a choice to make. They could have said that Colin's tweet, we don't agree with it, but whatever. It is what it is. Deal with it, audience, um, and move on. But I think they were just scared of, of the backlash overpowering that. The irony of this is that, well, or not, you're going to lose followers no matter what. If you didn't say, this was a bad tweet, I don't like it, you probably would have lost some some support. But I think you would have lost a lot less support in the long run, losing one of the four co-founders and arguably, if not the second most popular person of your company, who's going to blow up after this. And he will get bigger in the, in the mainstream. He will appear... On you will see him on like cable news. He will appear elsewhere. This is just the beginning for Colin. He's sharp. Um, he's witty. 
Uh, I think he has a good sense for what's happening around him uh, in terms of the political machinations. I think this is going to be a sort of a, a good branching off for him in his career. And I think kind of funny, hell, they lost $4,000 in, in Patreon support just in the, the two days since he announced his uh, departure. So I'm not saying that less or more than than if he stayed on and they didn't disavow his tweet, but there's an effect of Colin leaving kind of funny. I wish him well. We've had a couple of small interactions on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to talk to the guy at some point. I can tell him uh, how awful he is for being a New York Islanders fan. Um, coming from a Rangers fan. Uh, but other than that, though, we'll see where his career is headed. I'm going to follow him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support what he's doing. I think it's important to have an alternative voice, uh, not just in games journalism, alternative from you know the vast majority being uh, you know left-leaning, uh, but just in general out there on social media, it's important to have voices. That's one of the reasons why I think Kind of Funny had something because you know he was one out of four guys that had a, a sort of a differing opinion. And then you can find consensus, you can find agreement, and you can have a more interesting conversation with people around you that you don't agree 100% of the time versus an echo chamber and, and fluff where it's not really interesting. I don't think people learn much from it. I don't think people grow from that sort of interaction. But unfortunately, some people want to feel safe and not be challenged with their thoughts. And I, and I think that's what's happening with some of his uh, IGN uh, X, X, I guess, X, uh, hell, they work together. X employee partners, X partners are coming after him. I just think that's really strange. I'm rambling. Uh, I'm getting tired. I still got to do my Logan review if I want to and talk about him chopping off arms and legs and, and heggs and heggs. I'm so tired. Just, just, God, chopping off heggs. Oh, oh, it's WrestleMania. Pat's going to discuss the card that's currently in play. WrestleMania is less than a month away. And I want to talk about what's been going on. Wrestling. Uh, the build-up to this card's been strange, just because usually with WrestleMania, there is a build-up of like four or five months that happens for... Not all the matches, but the main two or three. Especially the main one from Royal Rumble. That's usually usually the Royal Rumble winner facing the champ at WrestleMania. That's usually the main event. That's usually this is the this is what our entire year has revolved around in terms of storyline. The storylines usually in WE in theory are year to year, starting after WrestleMania and beginning the new one and then ending at the next WrestleMania. This year though has been strange. Uh, for a few reasons, they have they have a lot of part timers now that are coming back. Um, you have two different titles that they split the championship out between the Universal Championship on Raw because of the brand split and the WWE Championship on SmackDown. So you have you have a lot of stuff going on here, and you have you know two different women's championships. You have the cruiserweight now, two different tags. You've had five different. Uh, titles created in the past, you know, seven, eight months. So it's, it's just a lot to sort of digest and it's uh, a lot to take in. So the builds haven't been, I think, where they should be. But I think this card is right now hit or miss. And I'm going to run down what you're looking at in terms of uh, the WrestleMania matches as they stand. This is pretty much going to be final for the most part. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll go from least important to most important. Yeah, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. I don't care, to be honest, because um, they haven't done that much with this in terms of pushing people and in terms of what's the long, you know, what's the lasting impact? Like winning the King of the Ring, it usually propels you. Obviously, winning the Royal Rumble propels you up. But, you know, you had Cesaro uh, win it. They, they didn't really do anything with his push, right? What did they do with that? I don't know. Big Show, they did it basically as, as a reward for being with the company for almost 20 years. Baron Corbin winning last year. That, that, that They did use that sort of as a jumping off point for his WWE career. And I think Baron Corbin has potential to be a, a, a big player. I like the character, sort of the lone wolf. I do like that. He has a good entrance. He's improving in the ring. And I, lo- I love the fact that uh, Baron Corbin, Corbin is a true heel in terms of he doesn't like anyone. Like, usually, traditionally, heels like other heels. He doesn't give a shit if you're AJ Styles, the character. He doesn't like you. If you're, a, you know, a good guy, he doesn't like you. He's a, a, a lone wolf. Uh, so that's important to me because that's sort of a original spin on a heel character. You don't see it that much. So... That's the, the the battle royal. It's to me a nice little add-on to the event, and especially gives gives other uh, wrestlers who don't have a, a main part of the card something to do. Shane McMahon versus AJ Styles. All right, this I have a huge problem with. Uh, I'm not going to mince wor- words. AJ Styles, arguably the best wrestler in the world, even at what is he, 37, 38 years old. He comes in in his first year after sort of a, you know, he had the fiery beginning at the Royal Rumble. They make him a face at first. He has sort of a, not lackluster feud with, with Chris Jericho, but it wasn't as good probably as it could have been. Jericho was just coming back. They had their little tag team. They fought each other at WrestleMania. After that, though, uh, Styles goes on fire, has match of the year candidate uh, with uh, John Cena, beats Cena cleanly, uh, wins the title from Dean Ambrose, defends the title, basically carries SmackDown on his back, especially while Cena was gone for a few months. AJ Styles was the wrestler of the year for WWE, in my opinion, carried SmackDown, the new show, in terms of splitting off, SmackDown Live, on his back. SmackDown Live is critically the better show. I think most fans agree, week to week. It's a better written show, better wrestled show, at least. It's two hours, it's compact. But then it, it gets better ratings somehow, for some weeks, for, than Raw, which is in, that's never happened in the past where SmackDown would do better ratings than Raw, mainly due to the quality of, of the wrestling, getting the storylines, and AJ Styles carrying it. So how do you reward him for that? Well, you have him do the yearly fight now with Shane McMahon. Shane's a guy that, uh, to me, he's you know he's earned, you know, he wants to fight someone at WrestleMania, he wants to beat a match, that's fine. Shane has, you know, he's, he's earned his way into wanting to do these matches. He's done the death-defying stunts. But he's not a good wrestler, though. And that's the problem, is that he is not going to... And, and AJ Styles can wrestle a wet mop, obviously, and carry a good match. But but Shane McMahon is not a, a full-time wrestler. He's more of a glorified stuntman at this point in his career. He's older. He, he had a really bad concussion last year off that Roman Reigns spear. Um, I'm not fearful for AJ Styles. He'll, be, he'll probably be okay for this match, working with a, a quote-unquote non-wrestler. I just think that the, at the quote-unquote grandest stage of them all, you could do a lot better for using AJ Styles put on a great match with someone. 
whether it's uh, Samoa Joe or, or or anyone else you want to try to put him with. I think that's not the best use uh, use of AJ Styles. I'm just going to say I think it's sort of like well he was champ for a while. We need, we need someone for, with Shane to wrestle. AJ, will you do it? You'll make Shane look, look look great. AJ's a company man. He'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I'm just disappointed. I would have loved to see if AJ kept his title but until WrestleMania and lose it, but obviously that's not the plan. I think they're going to turn AJ Styles' face this year. It makes sense. He gets huge a huge reaction because people realize just how damn good he is. And he's on the microphone in terms of his charisma. He's done, I think, better than anyone could have expected coming over from New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, John Cena and Nikki Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. It it is what it is. I think Nikki Bella is thinking about retiring. I'm not positive. Miz has had had the year the year of his life last year of his career, rejuvenated as the IC champion. Really like what The Miz has been doing. Um not a throwaway match entirely. This sort of intergender uh match, if you can call it that or well, they're not fighting men or women, but you know what I mean. I, it is what it is. I think it'll be fine. Undertaker versus Roman Reigns. Um, I don't th- think this is horrible. Um, they needed Undertaker to have a, a, an opponent. Reigns, I think they want to turn heel. I think they're, they're still holding out some sort of hope that Reigns is going to be accepted as a face. I don't see it happening. You might as well turn him heel. And you could do this through the match with Undertaker. If you have, say if you have Reigns, uh, cheat to win, get chairs kill The Undertaker, I think that'll finally do it for a heel turn if you want to do it like that. Yes, Undertaker would lose. He's already lost to Brock Lesnar now, so he can lose again uh, if he wants to, to Roman Reigns if he wants to, you know, have him do that. It, it could work. Um, I'm not... I, I'm, a, I'm a fan in terms of Roman Reigns in terms of him developing a character that people actually want to watch because right now, you know, the problem is, is that most people don't, don't want to see him as a face. They don't. Cruiserweight Championship match. Neville versus Austin Aries. I fucking love Neville as, you know, the king of the Cruiserweights. Cruiserweights, another rejuvenation of a character. Uh, kind of a bland face character, and he's great with the beard. Austin Aries, great on commentary. Good to see him back from his injury. That'll be a solid match. Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss versus SmackDown Women's Roster. I hate these sort of matches. I think Alexa Bliss has done a, done a fine job in the role. Uh, I love the character, although she's sort of a sort of was a Harley Quinn esque and coming into her own, uh, her own character. I think she's cute too. All the other side, uh, the entire SmackDown roster. I, I just don't like these these matches because they're too gimmicky, and then it's either they overcome all odds somehow by cheating to win, or they get screwed out of their their title because they didn't really lose it because they, they was unfair. I just don't like it, that sort of setup. Raw tag team match. Gallows and Anderson versus Enzo and Kaz and Sheamus and Cesaro. Uh, triple threat matches don't bother me as much when they're for a title, when they're a tag team, because you have better, I think, usually interaction between different sets of people. And you get those moments for, like, you know, uh, finisher, near fall, semi-finisher, or broken up. So I want to see Gallows and Anderson do a, do a deep run, though, because I think they should have had these titles, like, I you know, like six, seven months ago. They should have had these titles. I understand they wanted to have New Day, who are the hosts, by the way, of WrestleMania. They wanted to keep them to beat Demolition's record, whatever. But I think Gallus Anderson are way overdue. They need to hold these titles for a while because otherwise they look like a joke. Uh, women's Championship match, another triple threat. Bailey versus Sasha Banks versus Charlotte Flair. 
the women's Raw Championship has been bouncing around way too often. Uh, you know, when you have Charlotte Flair, Charlotte Flair already a four-time champion, and and you have Sasha, what, two or three already? Way too soon for it to be bouncing back and forth, injuries or, or what whatnot. you got to keep it, keep the title where it is for a while there. U.S. Uh, title match, Jericho versus Owens. Uh, I think the word is that Jericho's going away to work on uh, Fozzie Osborne again. So I expect him to lose, and he should, to Kevin Owens uh, to get the U.S. title back, which he did have at one point and did a good run with it. Uh, I don't like the fact, though, that they are uh, not going to have the rematch because usually traditional that, you know, you lose the title, you get the rematch. He's not going to have a rematch uh, with Goldberg for the title. But Owens will do a, have a great run, great run with the U.S. belt. He'll bring more significance to it as well. Uh, WWE Championship match, Bray Wyatt versus Orton. The disappointment with the Royal Rumble was I wanted Bray to win. I wanted this to be reversed. I wanted Bray to to uh, win the belt. Excuse me, excuse me, win the Royal Rumble and then win the belt at Mania. But they wanted to capitalize on the Randy Orton. Randy Orton hasn't won the Rumble in forever, so they wanted to have him win it okay. But it's also built into his turning against Bray uh, angle. I understand that. I just wish that Bray got that big rub off of winning the Royal Rumble versus winning it in uh, Elimination uh, Chamber. But uh, I think Bray will retain this, and I think he should. I think if Orton wins this, it's sort of like, okay, then why why have Bray get the title for like a month, and what's the point? Especially after you beat someone like John Cena. I don't, I don't, I don't see the, uh, the point of that. And then finally, the match that could be either really good or really bad, we will see. Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. Um, two part-timers fighting in the main event, or what could be the main event. They had a minute and 30-second match at Survivor Series that I saw the point of. I, I kind of agreed with it. But then you had uh, Lesnar get tossed out in the Rumble by Goldberg easily again. So with that said, there's no way Goldberg retains the title, nor should he. Uh, he hasn't wrestled more than a minute and a half uh, match since he's been back. You know, he hasn't um, defended the title at all since he won it. He's not, you know, wrestling matches. Uh, Lesnar has to win that match. Do I agree that this match should have happened for the title? No, I don't. But that was probably one of the conditions for Goldberg coming back for his limited runs. I want to get the title one more time, even though I'm not going to defend it. You know, sort of like when The Rock beat CM Punk, you know, uh, what was that, three, four years back. Come back, beat Punk, just to lose it to Cena. Except Cena wasn't a part-timer back then. Uh, Lesnar is. So Lesnar will win it. Uh, I'm hoping it's not a minute 30. Give uh, 10 minutes. If they work a good 10-minute match, hopefully Goldberg doesn't blow up. Uh, meaning, you know, he, he gasses out. Uh, or maybe there's an injury he's trying to hide. But, you know, you have Lesnar win it. Holds the belt until uh, sometime, you know, maybe, you know, June. Hopefully before SummerSlam. You know, maybe two, three months he holds it for someone else as a traditional, as a transitional uh, title to someone else on the roster. Who's ready to step up, though, uh, if it's not Goldberg? You know, maybe Owens comes back and gets it. They have a, a, a Finn Balor come back and win it. Maybe uh, Seth Rollins comes back and wins it. You have some options there. Uh, we'll see. Maybe they shuffle the roster. They AJ Styles come over and face Lesnar. That'd be cool. That'd be, that'd be awesome. But we'll see. 
But, uh, yeah, I'm interested in seeing some of the outcomes of the matches. I don't like the booking of a few, but I think this will be a good card for the most part. And I am overall looking forward to it with some some heavy caveats. I hurt myself today. I I saw Logan. It was good. It was a good film. Uh, I I won't get into, oh, it's a top five uh, superhero movie ever. Here's the thing about Logan. It's not set up like a superhero movie. It doesn't have the tone of a superhero movie. Hell, it's not even really shot or written as a superhero movie. If you want to look at Logan uh, in terms of a genre, it's kind of like a Western. You ever see those, like like, like the shootist with uh, John Wayne? You know? By the way, this is spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I don't want to hear... Like, I had the... Spoilers! Uh, the shoot... And, and, and shootist spoilers. The shootist was uh, John Wayne's uh, last film. Like that in True Grit. You know, he's older, but he knows it's, the end is near. The thing with the shootist, in real life, he knew the end was, was near. And the characters was too, which is why that's a, one of the better John Wayne films in general. But with Logan, he knows the end is near. It's the future... His uh, self-healing is breaking down. It's revealed that it's because the adamantium is a poison in his system that's attached to his bones. Which makes sense when you think about it. It's like heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, his uh, healing powers, you know, sort of put it off for, you know, a hundred years or more. Whenever he was supposed to have been born. Early 1900s, late 1800s, I don't know. But um, finally, it's catching up to him. He's aging a little bit more because his, uh, his super healing uh, factor does it just means he's slower to age. So, you know, we see some brutality in this film that helps illustrate this. In the first scene of the movie, he, 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 does a, he has like a limo service, which is great. For some reason, it sort of fits. He just has a limo and he's driving around, you know, girls, uh, bridesmaids, you know, bachelorette party, uh, overprivileged, you know, frat boys out in Vegas, you know, or was it Vegas or it was like Reno? Anyway, so there's a scene in the opening where uh, it's like a, a some sort of a Mexican gang near the border jumps him for his limo. And I guess I thought he was dead or whatever. He springs back or and he fights him off. Very brutal. We're talking legs and hands being chopped off. We're talking slices in the neck and the face. You know, this is really the first time we're seeing true blood and gore in a Wolverine portrayal. Portrayal, and this is the let's see, three, six. Seven, this is like the eighth time we're seeing a, a full portrayal of Logan on film, not counting uh, cameos, which is important. You know, we're talking the three X Men movies. We're talking uh, X Men for uh, not X Men First Class, uh, Days of Future Past. And we're talking the three Wolverine solo movies. That's seven. Was he in Apocalypse, X-Men Apocalypse? I don't know. I didn't see that. That's not supposed to be a good one. Anyway, so this is more like a Western, like I said. In terms of it's... Uh, there's not a, there's not action uh, wall-to-wall. There's sort of uh, three main set pieces in the film. If you don't even count the original scene. Uh, but it's gritty. It's down-to-earth. Uh, he's really the only... Before I get into the other spoilers, he's really the only real superhero uh, in the film 
in terms of, you know, like this, it's not like you have a team of X-Men around him. You do have Professor Xavier, but for the most part, this is just a grounded sort of uh, thriller uh, escape movie. They're on the move uh, always. And it was highly enjoyable because of the character moments. Hugh Jackman embodies the role. Um, what I like about Hugh Jackman is, besides him getting into ripped shape for all his movies, which is hell in and of itself, he never, like, put down the Wolverine character or the fans or com- he never bitched and moaned, oh, I got to get into shape. He realized what an honor it was to play this beloved character for almost 20 years. It's remarkable for for anyone to play a fictional character for that long. It's extremely rare to do that. But uh, Kelsey Grammer did that with Frasier. He did it for like 16 years or so. Speaking of X-Men, he was Beast in, in X-Men 3. That was awful. But um, it's rare for that to happen, especially in a, in a superhero movie, to have a character keep going. And yes, you can complain that well, the X-Men movies basically were Wolverine movies, and that is a valid complaint. It's one of the reasons why I do have a problem with the X-Men movies is that, you know, they're really not a t- team ensemble. There's always, yeah, it's a team, but really the big character arcs is, is Logan. He is the most popular X-Men character. I can see the reason why. That does bother me. Maybe they'll rectify that in future X-Men movies or X-Force, whatever they're doing. Alpha Flight, maybe? I don't know. But um, I like that you had a real arc with with uh, Logan. He real he's he's realizing that you know, uh, maybe family is important because something bad happened with the X Men, which you which you which you piece together. Then they finally kind of say it, but uh, Prof- Professor Xavier killed the X Men. He killed them by accident, but he did. Something happened where he lost control. Because he, he was getting older, um, a senility or a brain aneurysm, but he killed the X Men. Logan survived, and he realized it wasn't Xavier's fault. But he has to protect them. He loves Xavier. He's like a father to him, and it's sort of a reconnection of Logan with a family uh, through Xavier, which is why I like the movie. Uh, but then also he well, it's on the nose. But X twenty three is his uh, based upon his DNA is his biological daughter. So X-23 is played by Daphne Keene, Laura. Great performance. Understated. Has about, like, eight lines of dialogue in the whole in the whole film. Ferocious. You buy it. You buy it. This little kid's a killer. It's not just, yeah, I don't get it. Oh, uh, yeah, you see her decapitate uh, sort of a uh, mohawk wearing a um, drone soldier uh, of, uh, what's his name in the movie? Got the metal arm of uh, Pierce. So you sort of see the development of the bond between Logan and uh, Laura, who's X-23. And then you know, Logan goes out like a champ. It, it's not sad. I mean, it's sad to see uh, a death of a, of a superhero in a, in a movie. Spoilers. But the way that it happens with Logan, he has a complete character arc. He has a purpose. He's basically saving uh, a new set of mutants in the world. That in this movie they're almost all dead. Um, so he saves a new set of mutants. He, his death has a purpose. It's poetic. He dies in front of his daughter. He he relearns the meaning of family. 
He goes out like a champ. I was in tears. Everyone in the theater was in tears. If, if you're going to go out, you go out with the best. This is the best movie. Well, of the Wolverine uh, trilogy. I liked the uh, the Wolverine, the second film. The first one was obviously garbage. I liked the second one. It wasn't perfect. It had its problems. This one is obviously the best by far, and it's probably uh, it's probably the the best in terms of uh, just cinematic quality, how it's shot, how it's written of of the other six X Men movies. X two was great. The first X Men was okay. Third X Men was not good, and then well, I haven't seen Apocalypse, but Days of Future Past was good, and First Class was pretty good. Uh, but this was this in terms of quality rewatchability in terms of this being good, not even just as a as a superhero movie as its own movie. Like I said, it's like a western. Uh, no complaints at all about it. Action was all good, even though it's sort of limited to a few different scenes. I am very happy that the big surprise about X twenty four, basically the younger Hugh Jackman, which is basically Hugh Hugh Jackman not with aged makeup, fighting himself. You basically get to see the ripped Wolverine from past films fighting the older Wolverine who's dying and it's, his healing isn't working as well as it used to. And they kept that a secret in the trailers. Thank God. Because one of the reasons I didn't want to go see that Terminator movie from a what a year and a half back or last year, whatever it was, they gave away young Arnold Terminator in the freaking commercials and trailer. Thankfully, they didn't do that here. So that was pretty much a, a shock to the audience to see young Logan or younger uh, Logan slash X-24, really, kill Professor Xavier and then fight uh, fight old man Logan. Like, that was a surprise. I didn't see that. I, I mean, did I see it coming in terms of there being an X-24? Well, there was a shot to the laboratory of, uh, of a hunky leg inside the, uh, you know, whatever, the Project uh, Weapon X Aquarium. So you knew there was going to be an X-24. I just didn't realize it was going to be a straight clone. To that extent. And it was sort of shocking how it happened in that moment. Speaking of Professor X, though, uh, Patrick Stewart, his last performance as Charles Xavier, fantastic, nuanced, sad, joyful in a way. He goes out well at the same time. So I'm really interested to see what they do in terms of the the upcoming properties. Uh, But I really wish that, obviously, Marvel would buy the X-Men property back for film or, or co-produce like Sony's doing with Marvel Studios for Spider-Man. Uh, I don't see it happening though because there's still acrimony there. I saw a rumor that they're going to try to do another fucking Fantastic Four movie. God, that's going to put Frank into the gra- uh, ground. Jesus Christ. Uh, be, be Frank's final film. Be him trying to get to a, a Fantastic Four. Um, so I'm just happy that it was a quality film. Hugh Jackman, kudos. Put up with a lot of hell getting in shape for that character. Never bitched or complained about it once. Class act all the way. People were complaining about you being Logan at first because you weren't, you know, five foot three, you know, two hundred and twenty pounds. You're, you know, you're what are you six one six two? But now no one's gonna imagine it's gonna be like you're now the Sean Connery of the Wolverine character. There'll be another Wolverine on film at some point where there's five or ten years. It'll happen, and people will say, "Oh, he's it doesn't compare to." to uh, Hugh Jackman. This is the same way Roger Moore was a huge step down from uh, Sean Connery. Eh, George Lazenby was okay. He only had one film. I told him he should have done more in person. But anyway. <laughs> so go out and see Logan if you haven't. Uh, I, I think it w- it's well worth your time, even if you don't like the character itself, or even if you haven't liked the other Wolverine or X-Men movies. 
it was well done, and I'll bring a, a little tear to your eye. Q&A time on the CU Podcast. One question at Picard underscore M underscore Maker. What can be done to stop scumbags, scumbags sellers, 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 besides buying their shit? All right. How are you defining a scumbag seller? I'm guessing someone that's unethical, prices way above eBay prices or isn't fair, never gives you a good deal, is an asshole or someone you just don't like. What can you do to stop them? Spread the knowledge of how people should conduct themselves business-wise in terms of having ethics, not being a slime ball, not doing backdoor deals, not going behind people's backs to get deals, not lying. You know, I wouldn't support buying from someone that, you know how they got all the all the games on their flea market table? Well, they said, well, these are games that my, my, my five-year-old really wants for their, you know, I want to show my five-year-old these games, or this is a game that my, you know, my dying cousin had, had, and he wants to get that Steam events back. You know, people that just do scum fuckery to get ahead. Spread the word about who they are. Be honest. Don't, don't talk shit about bad sell, you know, sellers unless they're really bad. But be honest. Be like, hey, hey, that person, that person doesn't do good business, or they lied about this, or they, you know, they, they sell repro carts in their store, which is bad. They don't tell people. Or they sell repro cards in general at their store, which I, I don't agree with. You know, it's unethical. You can also, though, you can also educate sellers to be a better person. I'm not saying it's always going to work. It's hard to for slime balls to sort of change their, their way. You know, do, lepers can't change their spots. That's the expression, you know. But you can always, you know, buy from people that you already know are good, are good not scumbags. There's always mom and pops out there that are good. Luna Video Games, two locations. Digital Press, good location in New Jersey. You know, frequent reward those people that are good sellers. Give them them your business. Be loyal to them. Show them that doing business the right way is what works. Being an asshole isn't what works. Being unfair on trade-in value is a very short-term way of doing business because word gets out. You know, if you have a rare game, it's hard to get, and you're offering 10% of, uh, you know, of the actual retail value you can get, that's bad. And word will get back out. I'm not going to do business there. Why would I Why would I bring my games to trade in? Why would I conduct business with them? If they're not fair to people that come in, and, you know what I mean? Like, why would I do that? You know, if, if there's an asshole at the flea market that is dishonest, that might steal games from time to time, <clears throat> Oreo. You know, like if there's someone like that, don't do business with them. Spread the word to others that you know, like, hey, this is this guy is not the best. So maybe you want to do business elsewhere, or hell, you know, he's not giving you better prices than eBay anyway, for the most part. So there's ways that you can punish scumbag sellers uh, legally. Not, I'm not saying don't beat them up, but there's a way you can punish them, hurt them in their wallet. Stop buying from them. Tell others not to. I mean, hell, at my own flea market, uh, there are sellers doing a lot worse than they used to. I'm not saying it's because of me. I'm not. But, I'm, but hey, there's also karma as well that exists. You know? Good businesses usually thrive, ethical businesses. Bad businesses, you might think they're thriving, but eventually they'll fail because of a, a mistaken judgment that 
you think that benefits them in the short term. Long term, they'll screw over someone else or a friend. There's a seller I know that I hear nothing but bad stories about in terms of them doing business with other people, talking shit about people behind their back, being dishonest. What do you think happens then to the people that know them, that are around them every week? Word spreads from seller to seller. Someone someone got on me once. I I um there was like a there was I forget if this was a console for sale. I think it was a console. And I said to them, this is before I knew how bad this seller was. I said, Oh, I'm not interested in this, but I'll tell this other guy here about it that I, that's that's at the flea market. I'll tell I'll tell him about it to come over. And then when I came back later to find out if that person who I told about the console had bought it from this other dealer, the I got this strange reaction from the, the dealer, where he, he he didn't give me shit, but he was sort of like just sort of like oh no 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 like like what I did wasn't proper. I said hey that guy buy because I didn't know that the seller that I told about the item to buy from this dealer, I didn't know that they had bad dealings before. That dealer and that seller didn't like each other for some weird reason. I had no idea at the time. So what do you think happened then? It didn't hurt me, because I don't think the, the dealer knew that I didn't know about the bad relationship between these two. But what do you think happened? Do you think that, that dealer gave a good deal to that seller to try to buy it, to, to flip at his table? No. Didn't happen. Um... So, like I said, word gets around. Rep- your reputation precedes you and follows you when you're a seller. So, that's what you can do to stop them. Be honest. Be honest about how these people operate. Like I said, backdoor deals, dishonest practices, unethical, assholes in general, talking shit about people behind their back, other sellers or even buyers. I also know sellers that talk shit about buyers behind their back. Like, who the fuck? Like, are you out of your mind? Why would you do that? Because if I find out you're talking shit about a buyer behind your back who's spending money with you, that just shows you're stupid because they're 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 a wallet that's no longer going to be near you. But then, what if you're talking shit about me behind your back? Like, what does it say about just how your intelligence and how you do business? So, just be honest with people. That's how you stop scumbag sellers. Let people know how the scumbag sellers operate and and what type of people they are. That's it for this CU podcast. Uh, Ian will hopefully be back next time. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, there's a podcast, Patreon. It's patreon.com slash CU podcast. I appreciate the support. You'll be able to see all the video podcast content on there way before YouTube, usually within a day and a half of recording. Uh, you'll see that sometime sooner. Uh, it'll be like the full two-hour video, video portion. See me in all my sweaty glory and or Ian whenever he's back on the podcast, hopefully next time. If you want to advertise with the CU Podcast, it's uh, Podcast at thepunkeffect.com. Shoot me an email with your business and or YouTube site. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the rates. That helps the podcast keep going, helps keep the lights on, and burritos in my tummy, as well as Ian's. Um, I'll be at Retropalooza Houston, April 22nd and 23rd uh, in Pasadena, Texas. If you're in that area, come and say hi. The certain NES guidebook is still on sale at ultimatenes.com. Download the Ultimate Game Guide NES app on uh, Android at the Google Play Store and on iOS. And 1.2 will be out for Android devices soon. 
And a new Flea Market Madness is coming. Oh, yeah. So, let's let's uh, all wish Ian a, a speedy recovery. It may not be speedy, but let's, let's hope it is. We know what's wrong with him. He has ACNES. I am not making it up. He has a disease called, or a syndrome called NES. Almost jealous of that. So, I will see you in two weeks. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be back, I think. Oh, yeah, and check out the Not-So-Common podcast. Please subscribe to that. I think, uh, it, uh, even if you don't think my political and social ramblings are worth your time, I'm going to have great guests on in the future. I've had Mark Bustler from Classic Game Room. In the future, I'll probably have Mike Matei on, uh, Brent Black, a.k.a. Brental Floss, Andre Meadows from Black Nerd Comedy, and that's a different venue and different avenue. So subscribe, please, to the Not-So-Common Not so podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Store, and others, uh, Podbean. And that comes out once a week around every Saturday. That's it. I'm done shilling. I'll see you next time, folks.